The views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with Chris Schroeder do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Well, welcome family once again to Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, a conference approved literature with the Monty Man and Chris Schroeder. And uh, today we are going to be uh, investigating, delving into, and picking apart step four. Hey, Chris. What's happening, Monty? How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Uh did you have a good Christmas? I, I I did. I had a very good Christmas. It was, um, it was a unique Christmas. I spent spent some of the times with uh, relatives that usually don't even talk to me, and it's funny when when you, it's just you and your family and just them and their family and not everybody. It's amazing how they they open up. You know, <laughs> Christmas really is about family. I think it's about uh, it's certainly about kids too. Uh, we had a great uh, we had a great Christmas and we did a, lo- a whole lot of things and uh, probably the best part was watching uh, watching the kids open all the presents and yeah you know, it was it was a lot of fun yeah that is that is pretty good that's pretty cool my my uh, my youngest boy got the cello that he wanted and wow. uh, yeah because <laughs> the rel- relatives and friends pitch in and and he got his cello now he can play like six instruments so uh, <laughs> that, that's pretty cool. Well, what are we doing today? Okay, well, today we are, uh, we're on step four. We're, you know, of course, we're doing a, a 12 by 12 study, uh, and we're on step four. Monty, has any, back, picture back when you were drinking. Did anybody ever come up to you and ask you the question, what is wrong with you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah. think, uh, I think as an alcoholic or a drug addict, I think that's a very, very common question. To be asked, because you know we we can uh, we can behave in some very illogical ways. I mean, my my drinking buddies would ask me that too. Well, absolutely. Yeah. No, what, what is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> the alcoholic is the person who who uh, is going to be told in the bottle gang that he ought to slow down, and the drug addict is the is the guy who gets told by his drug dealer he needs to calm down. I mean, you know, it's just uh, there's there's an obsessive quality to the way the alcoholic or the or the drug addict uses. Uh, uh, uses or drinks, and many times it's wrapped up in some very, very dysfunctional, very bizarre behavior. Uh, I think I think it's incredibly important for someone who's embarking upon recovery to understand the mechanics, the spiritual mechanics of the fourth step, because it's in the fourth step that we actually first start to see what really is wrong with us. We're we're wrong about what's wrong with us until we start to do a four-step, although we usually don't think so. And so are many of the people that have a lot to do with us, many of the people that talk to us 
uh, about our drinking or about what's wrong with us. They've 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 definitely got it wrong. And you know, a, another brilliant piece to uh, to the Bill Wilson puzzle. Uh, when he put together this foundational literature was he got it right. He knew what was wrong with us, what was really wrong with us, what what needed to be healed for there to be recovery from alcoholism and drug addiction. And again, uh, the alcoholic or the drug addict is just, just too caught up with with what's going on uh, to, re- to really understand. I'm over here with, uh, with, a, with, a, with a friend of mine today. Uh, Monty, uh, his name is T, and he and I were talking about a couple of people and about how they're struggling. Uh, they're struggling to to get sober, to get clean, and we're we're talking about the misconceptions they have. They're, mm. they're working on the wrong solution because they've got the wrong problem, and we're worried that they're they're just not going to make any headway. They're they're just not going to they're 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 not concentrating on the right stuff. Yeah. So they're they're really wasting uh wasting a lot of time and energy. You know, so uh sure. well, I believe I believe that until you uh begin on a four step, you're not going to really understand what's wrong. And if you don't really understand what's wrong, you're not going to be working on the right solution. Well, it's it's kind of like uh why seek a power greater than yourself if you don't have a need for it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Why seek a power greater than yourself if you just need to figure out what you're doing wrong? Yeah. You just need to need to, need to find the missing link in the chain. And uh, so often, uh, so often, the alcoholic or the drug addict is, uh, spends a lifetime trying to find that missing piece when they've got the whole puzzle. They've got the wrong, they're working on the wrong puzzle. Yeah. Good point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, we're on step four. Uh, I want to mention, as we almost always do on these shows, that the instruction for the steps are in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, The book, uh, The Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions, was basically written to broaden and deepen the concepts as they're laid out in the book. So we're going to start. We're going to start reading on uh, on step twelve. Um, step that's four. How good, that's how good money. Well, on step four, not you, you said just said twelve. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. Step four. Yes. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start reading. All right. Okay. All right. Here we go. We are on page forty-two uh, in the step book. Step four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Creation gave us instincts for a purpose. Without them, we wouldn't be complete human beings. If men and women didn't exert themselves to be secure in their persons, made no effort to harvest food or construct shelter, there would be no survival. If they didn't reproduce, the earth wouldn't be populated. If there were no social instinct, if men cared nothing for the society of one another, there would be no society. For these desires, for the sex relation, for material and emotional security, and for companionship are perfectly necessary and right and surely God-given. Yet these instincts, so necessary for our existence, often far exceed their proper functions. One of the things that Bill Wilson was convinced of, Monty, was that we uh, we operated uh, uh, we operated toward our instinctual desires at an unnatural level. In other words, we would you know we would never be satisfied with a certain amount of power we wanted total power. We would never be satisfied with a certain amount of money. We wanted all the money. 
we would never be satisfied with a, a certain type of a relationship. We wanted to have relationships with more more people than than you know yeah. would be would be normal. And I I think that that's I think that that's true. I think that the alcoholic is forever trying to take something outside of themselves and put it in themselves to fix the spiritual void. Mm-hmm. And they'll do it with drugs. They'll do it with alcohol. They'll do it with sex. They'll do it with food. And it's it, it, listen. Our recovery is an inside job. We're, you know, we're not necessarily going to be taking things from outside of ourselves and putting them in us. We're acquiring uh, the, the spiritual life is is more about letting go of than it really is acquiring. Mm, good. Powerfully, blindly, many times subtly, they drive us, dominate us, and insist upon ruling our lives. Our desires for sex, for material and emotional security, and for an important place in society often tyrannize us. When thus out of joint man's natural desires cause him great trouble, practically all the trouble there is. No human being, however good, is exempt from these troubles. Nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. When that happens, our great natural assets, the instincts, have turned into physical and mental liabilities. You know, it's funny that the, the, the psychology that he touches on, this was written around 1950, somewhere between 50 and 52, Monty, and, uh, you know, there were a lot of uh, heavy-duty advances being made in psychiatry and psychology with Freud and Jung and Adler and a whole bunch of people like that. And I believe Bill at least got reasonably acquainted with, uh, with some of their theories. But I, I think, I think it, it, even more profound was his understanding of what made the alcoholic operate. You know, what, what, was, you know, what was going wrong? What was short-circuiting in the alcoholic? And he believed that it was misdirected instincts. You know, uh, uh, Chris, th- this this statement here is one of the most powerful statements um, that I've read in the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. That thing, that statement right there has helped me so many times because in looking at, okay, what's going on with me? You know, of course, you have to know what the instincts are. And and in in this part of the book, it tells you what they are, and they're God given. And uh, you know, we think so many times that oh, this is wrong to feel this way. No, those are God given instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we thwarted them so badly, like you put so very very well. Um, and um, and it talks about what you know the well. We're going to be talking about the seven deadly sins and so forth too. But uh, right, it, it is it, it is so. Um, it's almost reassuring to me that my nearly every emotional problem that I have isn't because I'm a whack job or something or I'm this a looney tune running around like a crazy person. I've got misdirected instincts. I so agree with that. And here's you know there's some bad news and there's some good news. Uh, the, the bad the bad news is it's really our own fault. It's a it's a self-imposed crisis we can't evade or postpone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's the bad news and that's the good news, because if really we are creating these emotional problems by misdirecting our instincts, then there's some real hope. We we stop misdirecting our instincts and we can overcome things like depression, anxiety, 
the guilt, the shame, the remorse, you know, all these emotional difficulties that so, so many people seem to have who show up, uh, you know, who show up in the recovery world. And so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's bad news that we have them. Uh, it's pretty good news that it's been figured out why we have them, and there's an actual recovery process that will help, mm-hmm. uh, help us overcome this stuff. Right on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Step four is, is our vigorous and painstaking effort to discover what these liabilities in each of us have been and are. We want to find exactly how, when, and where our natural desires have warped us. We wish to look squarely at the unhappiness this has caused others and ourselves. By discovering what our emotional deformities are, we can move toward their correction. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there can be little sobriety or contentment for us. Let's let's pretend for a second that that statement is absolutely 100% true, Monty. Without a willing and persistent effort, to uh, discover what our emotional deformities are and move toward their correction, there can be little sobriety or contentment for us. And you can't do that just sitting in a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, listen, listen, dumping at a meeting is is not uh, willing and persistent effort uh, to, uh, 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 to, to work these things out by sharing them. Sharing them doesn't do a whole lot except share them. There's some serious, uh, serious spiritual work that has to happen. So, you know, one of the one of uh, the biggest complaints that that I have is where somebody keeps showing up and sharing the same problems, the same type of problems, week after month after year, and there doesn't ever seem to be any forward momentum, any any freedom from uh, those continued problems. Uh, that that's someone who has a zero program. Uh, they don't have a, a program, and they are trapped in emotional bondage. And they're usually trapping the people who have to hear that, you <laughs> yeah. know, in their emotional bondage. Also, it's it's the it's it's incredibly rude and inappropriate. Yeah, the hostage you know. takers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, host- the hostage takers. Without a searching and fearless moral inventory, most of us have found that the faith, which really works in daily living, is still out of reach. Why the best way I've heard it described, Monty, is this: what you know, what the house cleaning is, and I believe the house cleaning is anything from step three to step ten. Uh, what a house cleaning is is it's it's removing the things that are blocking us off from the spiritual power. It's blocking us off from Mm -hmm. uh, the connection to the divine, the consciousness of the presence of God. That's what these steps do. They remove the things that we've artificially assembled that block us off from this power. And that's why uh, a four-step is so vitally important. It's, It's recognizing those structures that we have built that are blocking us from freedom and from recovery. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, without an inventory, you're not going to know what what the junk is anyway. I mean, you know. You're not, you're not. Yeah. So before tackling the inventory problem in detail, let's have a closer look at what the basic problem is. Simple examples like the following take on a world of meaning when we think about them. Suppose a person places sex desire ahead of everything else. 
In such a case, this imperious urge can destroy his chances for material and emotional security as well as his standing in the community. You know, I've worked with uh, with people over the years, Monty, who've had sex addictions. That's that's one of the most devastating that I've I've witnessed. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 just it, it destroys uh, the not only the quality of life of the sufferer, but the but uh, of uh, the people who you know surround them and still care for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've I've experienced the same thing. It is really poisonous. I mean, it, it is just incredible, destructive on a whole nother level. Another may develop such an obsession for, for financial security that he wants to do nothing but hoard money. Going to the extreme, he, become, he can become a miser or even a recluse who denies himself both family and friends. I've seen a lot of people, you know, who show up, uh, say, in the support fellowships or in the recovery uh, recovery world, Monty, who really uh, lost a lot because of their alcoholism or their addiction. They, you know, they've they've near bankrupted themselves, and the first thing they want to do when they get sober is to earn all that money back, and they take that as a priority. And there's a great line in the in the book Alcoholics Anonymous that says. Financial security will come after spiritual uh, security. So, in other words, you'll you'll be able to put your health and your finances back together once you've put your spiritual house in order, not before. So the people who, before they start working a program of recovery, start working 14 hours uh, a day at their job, they're just going to lose it all again, Uh, you know, they're, they're, you can't. You're working on the wrong problem if you're doing that. And that's 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 why it is so misleading to people. And we've talked about this before at great length. Um, to to I think to to read people the the ninth step promises as if they are promises that happen to you when you walk in, because we're talking about in, in the ninth step promises. We do talk about and folks, we will get to the ninth step. Believe it or not. Um, we are talking about uh, one of the things in there coming to pass is financial security and, and, and losing the fear of all those creditors coming after you. Why? Because we've gone through an amends process. We've gone through a spiritual uh, 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 change in, in that. And we read those, those doggone things as if people that just come to meetings are going to get that stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, places, I've heard of places where they have the... Uh uh, the the big book ninth step promises up on the wall, Monty. I've heard of such a thing. I, I think I think that's very misleading. Yeah, me I think it allows people to 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 somehow think that you'll get those promises through osmosis by sitting in uh, recovery meetings. And when, in actual fact, there's a ton of work that has to happen. You need to you need to take inventory. You need to share that inventory. You need to do the God work in six and. Uh, six and seven, then you need to become willing to make the amends in step eight, then you actually have to go out and make direct amends to the people and institutions you've harmed. And only then really can you count on those nine-step promises to materialize. And it doesn't say that uh, on the lampshade or the window shade up on the wall. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, basically put it into context. Right. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Nor is the quest for security always expressed in terms of money. How frequently we see a frightened human being determined um, to depend completely upon a stronger person for guidance and protection. This weak one, failing to meet life's responsibilities with his own resources, never grows up. 
disillusionment and helplessness are his lot. In time, all his protectors either flee or die, and he is once more left alone and afraid. We have also seen men and women who go power mad, who devote themselves to attempting to rule their fellows. These people often throw to the winds every chance for legitimate security and a happy family life. Whenever a human being becomes a battleground for the instincts, there can be no peace. Mm. And, uh, you know, Monty, that's that's a great description of an untreated alcoholic, uh, someone who is a battleground for misdirected instincts mm -hmm. and, and emotions. Mm -hmm. But that is not all of the danger. Every time a person imposes in, his instincts unreasonably upon others, unhappiness follows. Wow. <laughs> if the pursuit of wealth tramples upon people who happen to be in the way, then anger, jealousy, and revenge are likely to be aroused. If sex runs riot, there's a similar uproar. Demands made upon other people for too much attention, protection, and love can only invite domination or revulsion in the protectors themselves, two emotions quite as unhealthy as the demands which evoke them. When an individual's desire for prestige becomes uncontrollable, whether in the sewing circle or at the international conference table, other people suffer and often revolt. This collision of instincts can produce anything from a cold snub to a blazing revolution. In these ways, we are set in conflict not only with ourselves, but with other people who have instincts, too. I've got to comment on this. I, I've got to say this because this is so we, – we're uh, in the middle of doing um, a show, and folks, you can – by the time you hear this, it might be in the archives, but um, Open Forum Wednesday on codependency. And uh, this this statement here, demands made up on other people for too much attention, protection, and love can only invite domination or revulsion in the protectors themselves. I was at a point in, 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 when I was uh, still in the throes of, uh, of my alcoholism, uh, I was... I was addicted to making sure that you were my best friend you know and if you weren't there when you said you were going to be there i was coming to find you man and i pushed people out of my life because i demanded their attention their protection their love i, I demanded that and something happened while working the steps where that ended and it was such a miracle you, you know what? I, I understand exactly what you're saying because the same thing happened to me. I mean, I, I, I didn't have friendships. I had hostage situations. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? If I did something for you, I was going to expect a certain amount back. And, and, you bet. And, and, and you know, you, you better be compliant uh, or I'm going to have issues. And my life went from having, like, tons of friends in high school to having, you know, maybe a handful at the end. Maybe. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really have names. Uh you know they were they were you know crazy people, so uh, I you know I, I totally uh, I totally under, understand that and and I too uh, achieved some type of freedom from attachment yeah. to expectations uh, on these people somewhere in the steps I, I you know I'm I'm no longer uh, you know I'm no longer holding uh, people accountable for certain behavior patterns you know i have a i have an ability to uh, to let that stuff go and i've also got an ability to 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 uh be you know with people that i want to be with i don't need to be with people that you know are, are i don't need to be with anymore right right it's it's a you know it's a it's a detachment but it's also a power <clears throat> 
alcoholics especially should be able to see that instinct run wild in themselves and is the underlying cause of their destructive drinking. You know, whenever Bill talks about why we drink, why we're alcoholic, he talks about our character defects. Yeah. That's why you drank. That's why you're alcoholic. And it's the character defects that need to be treated for you to be able to recover. That was one of the the miracles of Alcoholics Anonymous, because they used to try to treat alcoholism with sobriety. Yeah. And, and it never worked. <laughs> I'll never drink again. I'll sign this pledge. It, you treat alcoholism yeah. with spirituality. You treat it with program uh, of recovering from participation in your character defect. Yeah. That's really what recovery is. And that's that's why this whole Alcoholics Anonymous thing is so brilliant. You know, uh, he, he just, he, he was ahead of the game. Yeah. We have drunk to drown feelings of fear, frustration, and depression. We have drunk to escape the guilt of passions and then have drunk again to make more passions possible. We have drunk for vainglory and that we might uh, the more enjoy foolish dreams of pomp and power. This perverse soul sickness is not pleasant to look upon. Instincts on rampage balk at investigation. This is why it's so difficult to get through. You know, I was sitting in here, like I said earlier, I was sitting in here with my friend T, and we were talking uh, about a couple of people who are just, their, their perception is so off into left field that it's... You, you almost can't come to them with the truth. You you almost can't come yeah. to them and tell them exactly what's wrong and what they need to be working on because they are so far away from that understanding that you know you're going to get uh, a, a, probably a hostile, completely you know uh, uh, unaccepting response from them. And it's, it's, it's really sad because instincts on rampage Balk at investigation. Uh, we sometimes we don't want to know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. We don't want to know. Um, the minute we make a serious attempt to probe them, we are liable to suffer severe reaction. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah, and if we try to probe somebody else's, you know, we'll we'll get severe reactions also. Yeah, we we one of the most mild one of the reactions, probably the most mild, is take your own inventory. You know, that's what I get from people. Take your own inventory. And, well, and, you know, uh, yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. I, you know, I won't clobber somebody with the truth unless I've gotten spiritual consent right. from them in one way or the other. But I will tell you this, that some t sometimes I will take spiritual consent if, uh, you know, if someone, if someone is, uh, uh, has taken uh, a recovery group hostage or something, you know, uh, I, I, sometimes, sometimes it might be inappropriate, Monty, but sometimes I will, uh, uh, I'll, I'll bring things back into line, you know, if it's my turn to talk. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I think we need that. And I've seen that happen very successfully uh, many, many times. Because if we get, if we get off the track and then everybody's off the track, you know, and we're not saying anything, uh, then where do we go from there? We just stay off the track. And then if that happens over and over and over again, then we get a, we get a room full of people that are being taught the, the wrong solution, the wrong problem, and then we have the gall to get mad at them when they relapse. Yeah, yeah, to hold them accountable. Yeah. <laughs> if temperamentally we are on the depressive side, we're apt to be swamped with guilt and self-loathing. We wallow in this messy bog, often getting a misshapen and painful pleasure out of it. 
you know, um, one of the things that you hear a lot in modern uh, recovery, no matter what what uh, what fellowship you're you're at, is people will say, "I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to talk to anybody about this medication or that medication." But the fact of the matter is, Monty, is as an alcoholic or as a drug addict, there are two symptoms that you are going to show when you show up. There are two symptoms, and everyone shows them. One of them is depression, and one of them is anxiety. And 95% of the time, the alcoholic is situational. We've created these emotional states because of our alcoholic drinking. We're not what would be termed as clinical. We're not clinically depressed. We're not, we don't have clinical anxiety. What we have is we've brought these on. This is a self-imposed crisis. Uh, that we've brought on our ourselves, and I, I like how Bill talks about it. You know, Bill uh, Bill suffered greatly from depression, and it might even have been that five percent, you know, clinical type. He struggled very, very greatly with it, and uh, it's it's something that uh, that I had a lot of in the early days. I don't anymore. Uh, but it's something that, that many, many people uh, who are in so-called uh, recovery um, uh, are, are suffering from. And one of the things that is really scary is the, uh, the misdiagnosis yeah. and the medication thereof of someone who, um, uh, you know, who is, is suffering from uh, a spiritual malady and not necessarily a clinical one. Yeah, and I, I, I boy, I've, I've got to chime in because uh, very, very early on, I mean, who wouldn't be depressed, right? I mean, you, you're supposed to be. I mean, you've lost this, you've done that, and blah blah blah, and all of a sudden you're 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 sober. You haven't drank for a few days, and it's all coming to you like 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 a bomb, you know. And and then you go to some doctor or some nurse practitioner, and they diagnose you as being bipolar. Well, of course you're acting that way. It's just you'll, you'll present, <laughs> you know, if you're if you're just coming off of your last drunk, or you're you know you're coming off of your last detox, you're going to present with a, a myriad of symptoms, and you know you can you can be psychotic, you can have split personality disorder, you can have clinical depression, you can have bipolar disorder. You're 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 presenting with all of these symptoms, and the fact of the matter is, is if you want to recover from some, from something, you don't treat the symptoms. So right. if you're depressed and you take an antidepressant, you're you're treating a symptom. You're not treating the underlying cause. And in recovery, we need to treat the underlying cause to find true recovery and true freedom. We we need to be working on the right problem. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yep. And uh, and I of course say that uh as someone who is not a doctor, but I will also say this that there are a lot of doctors that come to me for advice with people who are uh, who are alcoholic or who are drug addicts mm -hmm. because because just because you're a doctor does not mean you know anything about alcoholism or drug addiction. Most likely you don't, and uh, uh, unless you're uh, unless you're specifically trained on it or have your own personal experience in it or have paid attention to you know the latest and the greatest. Uh, uh, research and, and uh, uh, you know, understanding of alcoholism and addiction. And uh, the, the normal doctor has to do about four hours on alcoholism to get their MD, and usually that's on acute symptoms like uh, cirrhosis of the liver and 
esophageal varices, they're, they're lear- they learn how to treat that, and that's their alcoholism training, a, a normal medical. Wow. Now, there's, uh, there's uh, ASHRA, uh, American Society of Addiction Medicine. Uh, there's about 6,000 certified doctors in America today. Uh, if, you, uh, if you are an alcoholic or an addict, it's a good idea to have, uh, have an ASHRA doctor because they're very much less likely, less likely, to prescribe the wrong crap. Yeah, good point. As we morbidly pursue this melancholy activity, we may sink uh, to such a point of despair that nothing but oblivion looks possible as a solution. You know, um, someone that I was I was working very very closely with, Monty. I think I mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago. Took his own life. Um, yeah. You know, and he got to a place where nothing but oblivion looked possible. And and listen, that's the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, don't think that we're not. Uh, you know, we're not very, very capable of taking this as a way out. As an alcoholic or a drug addict, we are. You know, too many of us take this, uh, you know, use this as a solution. Here, of course, we have lost all perspective and therefore all genuine humility, for this is pride in reverse. This is not a moral inventory at all. It is the very purpose by which the depressive has so often been led to the bottle and extinction. If, however, our natural disposition is inclined to self-righteousness or grandiosity, no, not us. <laughs> our reaction will be just the opposite. We will be offended at AA's suggested inventory. No doubt we shall point with pride to the good lives we thought we led before the bottle cut us down. We thought we led. I like that. Yeah. We shall claim that our serious character defects, um, uh, if we think we have any at all, have been caused chiefly by excessive drinking. I thought that, money. Sure. I thought, oh my God, get me away from booze. I'll go. I'll go to, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll do what you guys are asking me to do. Uh, just get the booze out of me, and everything will fall back into place. Well, the true alcoholic or the true addict, things get worse when you get sober or you get clean, mm-hmm. because then all of a sudden you've got stark raving, character defect, emotional turmoil, untreated alcoholism, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, and every other uh, form of, uh, of mental and emotional torture landing on you without any escape, without an anesthetic. Uh, and, uh, did, I, did I pronounce that right? Yeah, you did. <laughs> okay. This being so, we think it logically follows that sobriety first, last, and all the time is the only thing we need to work for. We believe that our one-time good characters will be revived the moment we quit alcohol. We were pretty nice people all along, except for our drinking. What, uh, what need is there for a moral inventory now that we are sober? Uh. We also watch it another wonderful excuse for avoiding an inventory. Our present anxieties and troubles, we cry, are caused by the behavior of other people, people who really need a moral inventory. That's that's the great ability of us to uh, project our problems onto other people, because uh, fully uh, fully embracing responsibility for them is inconvenient. Hey, have you ever heard people sit in, sit in a in a support group meeting and, and say, after everybody's talked about whatever the topic is or whatever, they say, "Well, my whole purpose to be here is to quit drinking." That's it. And they, you know, that that, yeah. uh, that does that does happen, and and certainly that's a point. Sure, you know? C- certainly that's a, a reason. It's certainly a lot of times uh, the first reason, you know, to get off drugs or get off booze. 
but if you don't quickly understand that um, that the, it's a bigger process than mere sobriety, than mere you know the, the the mere absence of drugs in one's body, if you don't quickly realize that there's a there's a bigger uh, picture here, you're going to be in trouble. You're, you're going to be uh, one of those people who relapse. Mm-hmm. We firmly believe that if only they treat us better, we'd be all right. Therefore, we think we think our indignation is justified and reasonable. Uh, that our resentments are the right kind. We aren't the guilty ones. They are. At this stage of the inventory proceedings, our sponsors come to the rescue. Uh, They can do this, for they are carriers of AA's tested experience with Step 4. They comfort the melancholy one by first showing him that his case is not strange or different, that his character defects are probably not more numerous or worse than those of anyone else in AA. This is the, this the sponsor promptly proves by talking freely and easily and without exhibitionism about his own defects past and present. This calm yet realistic stock-taking is immensely reassuring. The sponsor probably points out that the newcomer has some assets which can be noted along with his liabilities. Uh, this tends to clear away morbidity and encourage balance. As soon as he begins to be more objective, the newcomer can fearlessly rather than fearfully look at his own defects. The sponsors of those who feel they need no inventory are confronted with quite another problem. <clears throat> this is because people who are driven by pride of, uh, of self unconsciously blind themselves to their liabilities. These newcomers scarcely need comforting. The problem is to help them discover a chink in the wall their ego has built through which the light of reason can shine. First off, they can be told that the majority of AA members have suffered severely from self-justification during their drinking days. For most of us, self-justification was the maker of excuses. Excuses, of course, for drinking and for all kinds of crazy and damaging conduct. We had made the inventory of alibis a fine art. We had to drink because times were hard or times were good. We had to drink because at home we were smothered with love or got none at all. We had to drink because at work we were great successes or dismal failures. We had to drink because our nation had won a war or lost a peace. And so it went ad infinitum. We thought conditions drove us to drink, and when we tried to correct these conditions and found that we couldn't to our entire satisfaction, our our drinking went out of hand, and we became alcoholics. It never occurred to us that we needed to change ourselves to meet conditions wherever they were. You know, one of the big misconceptions, Monty, is that alcoholism or drug addiction is causal. In other words, outside circumstances, outside conditions have caused these. Alcoholism or drug addiction are not causal. Uh, You will drink whether she leaves or whether she stays. You will drink whether you get the job or you lose the job. You will drink whether you have money or whether you don't have money. It's not causal. It's, It's an illness. And it's brought about by an obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body coupled with uh, life unmanageability and the expression of character defects uh, that are uh, are out of control. That's really what alcoholism is. And <clears throat> until someone starts to understand that, like I said earlier on, they're working on the wrong problem. They're trying they're trying to work on their alcoholism by not drinking. And that's that's a really bad way to work on your alcoholism. It's a good thing to do is to not drink if you're an alcoholic, if you can do that. But it's not a good recovery process. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question here. Uh, 
do you do you think or do you suspect uh you know we've pretty much been able to to say with some accuracy here that uh alcoholism uh can be genetic do you think that it can that it can uh be created out of abuse of alcohol i think well i'm going to tell you a story monty that i think will answer that question okay okay and here it is all right take a hundred people right off the streets right off the streets you take a hundred people and you lock them into a big huge cabin and you force them to drink two quarts of whiskey every single day for 30 days and and at the end of that 30 days you open up the door 90 percent of those people are going to run out of that door they can't wait to get out of there 10 percent will want to sign a lease (laughs) okay that 10 percent are the people who are alcoholic listen in college college is when there was a lot of people doing a lot of drinking money and I drank with this guy. His name was Jeff. We used to just get hammered. I am talking hammered, blackout drunk, uh, every Friday and Saturday night like like it was a religion. Okay, the time came, and so he was he was drinking as much as I was, and it was affecting him as much as it was me. But what happened was he met this nice girl. And he started going out with her, and she didn't really want him drinking with Chris anymore. So off he went, and he was able to moderate. <clears throat> he he got to the point where he could have a couple of glasses of wine. And I'll tell you what, on his birthday or on New Year's, he would get drunk. And, and that was that. I mean, totally, totally controllable, you know, totally normal drinking. Me, I got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. I had the genetic bullet. Mm. <laughs> I think I think drug addiction is a little different mm-hmm. because you can become addicted uh, to drugs, and I think that addiction can warp you into the ism a little bit easier. Right. Uh, because take the same hundred people. Say you take a hundred people and you put them in the same log cabin and you shoot them up with heroin every day for thirty days. At the end of those 30 days, you're going to have 100 people addicted to heroin. Right. Okay. But when they get detoxed, if you detox all 100 of them, you're going to find that about 10%, maybe a little bit more, of the people who had become addicted are going to be drug uh, drug addicts. What I would call a drug addict. Yeah. In other words, they're going to they're going to go back to it. They're going to um, uh, start the the the, uh, addiction. Uh, treadmill. They're going to get. They're going to get on it. But there are people who can become uh, detoxed and and go off about their business, and they're fine. <clears throat> so, so you know, I believe drug addiction and alcoholism are different. Uh, there's fundamental differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the treatment the same? I believe the treatment's the same. I, I think that uh, you spiritually treat both of those uh, both right. of those problems, and you're going to be all right. Good answer. Good answer. Does that make any sense? Yes, at all? it does. Thank you. Okay. Let's see. But in AA, we slowly learned that something had to be done about our eventual resentments, self-pity, and unwarranted pride. We had to see that every time we played the big shot, we turned people against us. We had to see that when we harbored grudges and planned revenge uh, for such defeats, we were really beating ourselves with the club of anger we had intended to use on others. 
we learned that if we were seriously disturbed, our first need was to quiet that disturbance regardless of who or what we thought caused it. To see how erratic emotions victimized us often took a long time. We could perceive them quickly in others, but only slowly in ourselves. First of all, we had to admit that we had many of these defects, even though such disclosures were painful and humiliating. Um, Where other people were concerned, we had to drop the word blame from our speech and thought. This required great willingness even to begin. But once over the first two or three high hurdles, uh, the course ahead began to look easier, for we had started to get perspective on ourselves, which is another way of saying that we're gaining in humility. Of course, the depressive and the power driver are personality extremes, types with which AA and the whole world abound. Often these personalities are just as sharply defined by the examples given, but just as often some of us will fit more or less into both classifications. Human beings are never quite alike, so each of us, when making an inventory, will need to determine uh, what his individual character defects are. Having found the shoes that fit, uh, he ought to step into them and walk with new confidence that he is at last on the right track. Now let's ponder the need for a list of the more glaring personality defects all of us have in varying degrees. To those having religious training, such a list would set forth serious violations of moral principles. Some others will think of this list as defects of character. Still others will call it an index of maladjustments. Some will become quite annoyed if there is talk about immorality, let alone sin. But all who are in the least reasonable will agree upon one point, that there is plenty wrong with us alcoholics about which plenty will have to be done if we are, ex- if we are to expect sobriety, progress, and any real ability to cope with life. And that is definitely true. One, one of the most important things about uh, the four-step inventory is to, is to uh, identify the roadblocks uh, to our success at life, you know, we, we've we've erected these roadblocks. So uh, we definitely need to need to be looking at uh, what we've erected, and uh, and working with God to have that removed. These, these uh, what you just read would suggest to me that if a thorough and thrillless moral inventory is taken, and if somebody continues to work the steps, that your behavior is different. In, in, in sobriety, your, your whole attitude, outlook on life, and your operational methodology will change. Okay, after recovery, you will not only think and perceive your environment and your relations, your interactions with the world on a different plane. You'll react differently. You will go. You, you know, at its at its most extreme, you will go from perceiving the world as hostile. To perceiving it as very generous, it, it's interesting to me uh, <laughs> to watch folks that their behavior doesn't change at all, and they have claimed to go through this and gone through the steps and done done, done all this stuff, and I and I begin to wonder, especially after uh, uh, studying the Big Book uh, more thoroughly over the last couple of years, um, if they're truly alcoholic at all or truly addicts at all um, but you know when the same language is coming out of a person's mouth that it always has come out when they're still shacking up with Mary and playing house when they're still doing driving like a maniac you know um, there's there's you know it just seems to me that 
that you could the people that I really see that are doing this stuff not only do their face change and there's light in their eyes we talk about that kind of stuff and everything but they're just a different person the things that that uh, I think their misdirected instincts were were raging about uh, maybe some of that stuff's still there but it's not at the level that it was it bothers them now where before it didn't bother them you know there's just there are specific personality traits with the alcoholic or the addict there there just are we there's a commonality in in personality traits and what i've what i've noticed is there are people that i've taken through the steps monty where there was there was really no significant change in their attitude outlook or behavior and you know i i've come to come to believe that they really weren't alcoholic they really weren't addicts. They, they were problem drinkers or, or you know, uh, yeah. drug, drug abusers. Uh, they, they didn't have the, the personality traits that are common to us. So they didn't have that monumental spiritual awakening. There wasn't an awakening. There was, there was more or less, you know, nothing. They did a lot of spiritual work and didn't really get very far. And, and but but with the alcoholic or the addict, if they do this spiritual work, they will undergo a significant change. Uh, the the uh, the awakening will be p- profound. Uh, they will be reborn, as it says in in this book. Yeah. You know, if they're if they're doing uh, doing things the way that it's instructed in the the book Alcoholics Anonymous, they they, they will. Yeah, yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I believe that. Okay. To avoid falling into confusion over the names these defects should be called, let's take a universally recognizing list of major human failings. Here are the seven deadly sins. Here they are: <laughs> pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. It is not by accident that pride heads the procession for pride um, leading to self-justification and always spurred by conscious or unconscious fears is the basic breeder of most human difficulties, the chief block to true progress. You know, and Bill looked at this stuff. I mean, he studied this stuff. So pride, self-justification, Spurred by conscious or unconscious fears is the breeder of most human difficulties, the chief block uh, to true progress. So if it's a block to our prog- progress, if it's a block to our freedom, it's a block to our recovery. We, we, need to, we need to recognize this, and we need to be about the right business mm. for the removal. Pride lures us into making demands upon ourselves or upon others, which cannot be met without perverting or misusing our God-given instincts. When the satisfaction of our instincts for sex, security, and society become the sole object of our lives, then pride steps in to justify our excesses. All these feelings generate fear, a soul sickness in its own right. Then fear, in turn, generates more character defects. Unreasonable fear that our instincts will not be satisfied drives us to covet the possessions of others, to lust for sex and power, to become angry when our instinctual demands are threatened, to be envious when the ambition of others seems to be realized while ours are not. We eat, drink, and grab for more of everything than we need, fearing we shall never have enough, and with genuine alarm at the prospect of work we say stay lazy. (laughs) 
<laughs> you loaf and procrastinate, or at best work grudgingly and under half steam. These fears are the termites that ceaselessly devour the foundation of whatever source of sort of life we try to build. You know, that's a very damning prognosis, yeah. Monty. I mean, that's that's really somebody who cannot deal. He's describing somebody who has a real inability to deal with life on life's terms. Mm. So when AA suggests a fearless moral inventory, it must seem to every newcomer that more is being asked of him than he can do. Both his pride and his fear beat him back every time he tries to look within himself. Pride says you need not pass this way. Fear says you dare not look. But the testimony of AAs who have really tried a moral inventory is that pride and fear of this sort turn out to be bogeymen, nothing else. Once we have a complete willingness to take inventory and exert ourselves, uh, to do the job thoroughly, a wonderful light falls upon this foggy scene. As we persist, a brand new kind of confidence is born, and the sense of relief at finally facing ourselves is indescribable. These are the first fruits of step four. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, before you even begin to understand what recovery is, you have to do a step four. If you're somebody who's listening to this right now and you've been clean for a long period of time in a support group or you've been sober a long period of time in a support group and you think, you think you've got some kind of a clue and you haven't done a four step, you are walking around asleep thinking you are awake. It's that bad. Wow. And you do not believe it. You're not going to believe it when you hear me say it, but it's absolutely true. You don't have a clue. And that's one of the signs. They can test themselves on this if they don't believe it when you're saying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If yeah. they disagree with me, they're unrecovered. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I hate it even to say it that way, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a symptom of your untreated alcoholism is disagreement with me. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I, I don't know if I'll use that in the meeting or not. <laughs> uh, no, you better not use that in the meeting, Bob. You're unpopular enough. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, man. I think we've done about enough reading for, for tonight. I want to want to pick it up next week uh, and finish step four and maybe maybe move a little into step five. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it sounds, that sounds like a real good deal. A real good okay. deal. Okay, folks, uh, if you do not have a copy of the 12 by 12, and uh, you, do, you do have internet, you're not listening to this on an iPod or something, you can go to aa.org forward slash 12 and 12. And uh, there'll be a PDF files there that you can read along with us there as well. But I really encourage you to get a 12, uh, a 12 Steps and 12 Traditions and uh, follow along with us. Our email address here is take12radio.comcast.net. We welcome your uh, opinions, good, bad, and indifferent. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all that as well, too. Chris, thank you so much. You got it, Monty. All right. Hang on. Uh, don't go away. Uh, folks, this is the Monty Man once again and Chris Schroeder. We are wishing God's serenity for you. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>